so what's on the what's on the hobby hobby table there at the moment, Tom? Lots and lots of unpainted minis. I have a, a spectrum of unpainted minis that that sort of span the ages. I um I have so many games and so many systems. I kind of flit from one to the other. I'm kind of putting together lots of Frostgrave warbands at the moment, but also I've got my eye on some sci-fi stuff because I recently bought um, Five Parsecs from Home, which is published by Modifius, although I believe the game design is by someone else. So I'd like to sort of dip my toes in some solo sci-fi wargaming. So it, it's the same as, as always, really. I've got lots of things going on, but it's I, I'm never really concentrating in one place for long enough to, to see a lot of... Um, Results, shall we say? <laughs> so you mentioned Frostgrave there. So are you a fan of the the what we might call miniature agnostic systems because you could use all the different minis you have from over the ages? Yes, I am. I mean, that's that's one of the things that really appeals to me about Frostgrave because you don't need to be locked into a a range of miniatures. And I think when I when I first bought the game, I just had a rough idea that oh, you know, I've I've got so many fantasy miniatures lying around unemployed. It would be good to just put them in a in a game where I could use them to their to their full potential. And that that's what I do very much like about Frostgrave that it is it is miniatures agnostic, because I think with with Warhammer, you know, forty k and fantasy, you you do get tied into things quite quite firmly and also you do you need a lot of miniatures whereas with frostgrave you don't really need it and you can just use what you have which is what i like yeah it's funny with the the minis agnostic systems to how many people are using different games you know maybe frostgrave it might be you know open combat or or song of blades and heroes but using the the gw ips you know the old world settings and and some old games workshop models so it's funny you know a lot of people are still playing games workshop games but they're not games workshop games if that makes sense so were you um were you mainly gw back in the day when you you came into the hobby when you collect a lot of their stuff absolutely i mean they really i took my first steps into uh into wargaming with games workshop i mean i i started off as a role player and then a few years later i i, I became a wargamer as well and very much so. I remember stepping into the old Games Workshop store in Liverpool and just buying little blister packs of orcs, of dwarves, you know, just real small amounts at a time and just putting putting together my own Warhammer games using the second edition rules. So absolutely, yes. So what, what year were we talking then? <laughs> oh, you'll you'll age me badly now. <laughs> this was nineteen eighty six when I when I can pinpoint that I got into wargaming. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah, I wasn't around till like ninety three, right? So, I wee bit after that. But uh, yeah, I look back on the. I mean, Games Workshop for me, it was all there was when I was a kid. Because again, you know, I'm slightly later than eighty six, but still no internet. You know, only White Dwarf magazine. Um, I'd only really been in Games Workshops and stuff like that. Not that there was one particularly local to me, but it's all I knew. So. When I returned to the hobby in 2018, um, I was very—I don't—I don't know if I was surprised actually to see all the other stuff available. I, I guess I was, you know, the sheer volume of different games and different miniature ranges was great to see. Um, 
and I, I don't know that I've really bought anything off Games Workshop, maybe a pot of paint or that, but um, I don't even like their new paints. <laughs> <laughs> I've got loads of the old ones still, um, so I've been using them. So you you got a, you got a lot of stuff for like GW back in the 80s and 90s still? Yeah, in fact, it's funny you mentioned paints. I, I, I was looking at my paints. I mean, every so often I look at my paints and I kind of add water where necessary. And I think some of them go back to the the late or the mid nineties. It's quite startling how long they last. So, oh yeah, definitely got loads of stuff from from back then. So, what uh, like uh, are you mainly interested in the collecting painting? Um, do you put gaming on an equal footing as those things, or you know what what's the what's the key aspect to your hobby? I think I think they're all equal. I mean, I suppose the painting is what I do the most because I think it's something that is. I wouldn't say the simplest, but it, it's the most accessible for me to do because I can maybe do it in spits and spurts. You know, I can maybe spend 10 minutes painting, I don't know, the, the armor or the, or the base coat or just considering how I'm going to approach the miniature. Whereas if, if I want to set up a game, that can be a bit longer and I might need to just choose the system or decide what the scenario is going to be, whether I'm going to homebrew some, some kind of setup. But I, I think it's the painting. I definitely like the painting because it, you know it's quite absorbing as a hobby, and um, you know having having two daughters, it's nice to get away from them sometimes. They, you got them into anything miniatures related? You know, a bit of painting or that, or? Well, I, my my older daughter, she's she just turned ten, and she, you know she's often looking at my miniatures, and she kind of she's kind of fascinated and interested in in, in playing with small intricate things. I think she's about to graduate from Lego into something more complicated. So maybe she's prime material for uh, Minnie's painting. So yeah, possibly. Yeah, my daughter's uh, four weeks old, so I've not I've not managed. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking maybe six weeks we could crack open the paints <laughs> and see how that goes. Uh, oh yeah, what a paint in the nappy, to be honest. When I open that, it's like a weird uh, Nurgle esque. Um, one of the like uh, I can't remember the name of the paints, the ba- base paints or something. Um, I don't know. Anyway. That's enough nappy chat, I think, <laughs> for, for one episode. But uh, so are, are you mainly playing games that are, you know, when you do get a chance to play a game, is it mainly sort of smaller scale, what we might class as skirmish games? Are you ever doing any sort of mass battle games or that these days or even collect armies for likes of Warhammer, Kings of War, etc.? Uh, I'm doing everything, really. I mean, starting off with Frostgrave, I, I, I enjoyed setting those up because you know, you can have a few minis aside. I mean, the way I play Frostgrave, I I don't exactly follow the rules in terms of the warband numbers and the um, and the wizard and the apprentice. I might have one wizard and just maybe three three warband members and have like a little simple setup that way. And then I have some non fantasy miniatures as well. I've got some fifteen millimeter uh, English Civil War or Pike and Shot minis, so I'll have quite you know fair sized battles with them as well. And when it comes to mass battles, I've got some uh, 10 millimeter Pendragon. I've got some 10 millimeter, I think it's called Lizardkin and Undead. And I just put them on the same battle board and I'd have what you call a, a mass battle game, but of course it, in 10 millimeter. And, and with all these, I'm using different rules. You know, I'm using Frostgrave with my 28 mil. I'm using Osprey's Pikeman's Lament with the 15 millimeter. And I'm using, I, I, I have used Kings of War with my 10 millimeter, with my 10 millimeter Pendragon. But now I'm kind of experimenting with, I think it's called the Dux Bellocum. I, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. It's one of the uh, Osprey Rules uh, sets that came out set in the set in the pre-Dark Ages, in the Arthurian times. So I, I play all sorts, skirmish to mass battles. 
Yeah, I did a bit of Kings of War with six mil. I've got a small amount of six mil stuff. The only thing I found tricky was because it's been a couple of years since I've played it now, a year since I've played it, but you mark off, you mark wounds on the units. So I had like, I ended up with dice all over the, the table, you know, next to it. And it's these tiny wee regiments. So it looked a bit cluttered after a while. So um, that's one thing about Kings of War is just, I like that um, not having to take the the dead, the, you know, the casualties away until the unit's removed. But the, the flip side of that is you're recording wounds, as far as I could remember. Yeah, that, so. I think that's an advantage of Kings of War, that you've, especially if you've got multi-based miniatures, you, you, you don't have to sort of pry them off the base. You can just keep them mm. there and, and, as you say, put markers down. And uh, Dux Bellicum was, was the same, really. You know, it's, it's element-based. You can just put markers down to say you've... You're, uh, actually, with that game, I don't think it counts wounds, wounds too specifically. It's, it, more, it more goes on morale. So when your morale is down to zero, your, your, your unit just disbands and flees the battlefield. So, yes, but same thing, essentially. With the with the skirmish game, so like Frostgrave and that, okay. Um, I've got I've I've got a collection of miniatures now that I've just picked up, and um, my basin has changed slightly, probably for the better. So I've got like you know, the year before last miniatures, the bases aren't so great, and I've kind of I've got them at a stage where the bases I'm quite happy with. What I find is I'm trying to put a warband together, and when the bases are all different, I don't really, I don't know if it's just an OCD <laughs> thing. I don't really like that. So when you're, you know, when you put a warband together, are you conscious that the bases need to be uniformed, or do, do you know, does that not bother you? Very good point. I've, I've, I've got a, a little story to tell on this one because when I first bought the Frostgrave rules, I said to myself, okay, everything's going to be snowy wastes, ice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So all the miniatures I'd set aside for that initial uh, Frostgrave, um, entering into the Frostgrave world, it was all snowy. You know, I just, I, I, I put sand on the bases, then I, uh, then I, I base coated it white, then I, then I, I forgot what I did. I think I base coated, then I put a, a coat of Space Wolves grey and then I dry brushed it white. Anyway, the point being, it was all uniform, frosty looking colour. However, I then came to the, the decision that, I didn't really want to base a whole load of miniatures purely in the Frostgrave world, as it were. So whenever I play a game of Frostgrave now, let's just say that there's been a bit of a, a climate change. Everything's a bit more temperate. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing. Like if you, you might base a you know a beautiful warband, um, but then the baddies or you know the rivals or that they could be walking about in the the classic um, bowling green style grass, <laughs> goblin. You're a fan of goblin green bases? Absolutely, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, love that. Love the goblin green bases, especially on like space. You know, I've, I see um, photos. It's like you know old hammer type players, and they're like, look at. Uh, my, my squad of Terminators on Space Hulk, and they've got <laughs> they're on the golf green, like they're on the 18th at St Andrews. I love that. Um, yeah, the, so with with Frostgrave, so you're playing that classic, like let's do the frosty setting. What about terrain? Um, what's your have you got like a terrain collection? Do you prefer to make terrain, buy terrain? What do you what do you kind of do with that? I, I prefer to make terrain. I've always, I've always preferred making terrain since the very first time I got into Warhammer. I think the kind of inspiration, two inspirations for, for, for terrain for me was in the second edition rulebook, you've got these really cute um, pictures of, of 
of, of terrain that have just been, been been made from scratch. There's a hill made out of polystyrene tiles. There's a little hedge and there's a little house. And when I first got into wargaming, I was reusing all my old um, train set trees and and houses. Um, some of them I'd built. Some of them I you know I bought uh, you know I bought brand new. But generally, I prefer crafting. Um, I think and with Frostgrave, what I've done is I've made lots of ruins out of polystyrene. You know, whenever I bought something that's come in a big polystyrene packaging, I've just kind of cracked off the corner and you've got an instant, you know, castle. If you paint it gray and dry brush it, you've got an instant castle. So definitely prefer crafting stuff. Yeah, I got, um, for Frostgrave, I just got, and it, it was the creator, Joe McCulloch, who talked about this again and again on various podcasts that, you know, if you don't have a lot of terrain and you want that variation, Every time you play it, it's like wooden blocks for kids, basically. So it'll come in handy for my daughter. Well, maybe not because I've painted them and I don't know that the paint might chip off and it might be poisonous. Um, but I all these wooden blocks and I'm also, I've got the Stargrave book now. So when I manage to get a game of that, they'll, they'll work like because they're grey. Um, so I could build various stuff. But I've, I've kind of, although I don't get a lot of games, I found myself buying a fair bit of terrain and I don't know why that is I, I, I thought to myself you know if I'm spending a bit of time doing something I think I'd rather be painting a miniature than doing terrain but I, again I do I do see the appeal of creating your own um, it's obviously just weighing it up you know do I want the short term do I just want to buy something or do I want to spend a wee bit of time making it I mean I think I've got a psychological condition, and I and I always say that the war game, the war game side of my brain is always switched on. I mean, sometimes in the day I can be thinking about work or or, or or the kids, and I'll see, for example, a discarded piece of polystyrene on a building site, and instantly I'll say, "Oh, I can make that into hills. I can make that into a building." So I, I think for me, you know, I, I I would always I would always prefer to craft because I know how how cheaply, if not free, you you can make war game war games terrain from. I think the problem with me in the past is knowing when to stop because if, if you are acquiring lots of kind of building offcuts, you, you can just be overwhelmed with like this, this tidal wave of, 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 uh, of crafted terrain in, in the bedroom or the man cave. So uh, that, that's the one downside of crafting stuff on your own. And, and to be honest, I've never really been interested in buying the stuff I see, um, for example, in Games Workshop, just because I think it's very expensive. It's quite pricey. Uh, I know I can make it not as good, but I can make something just just as effective for very little money. And I think over the years, some of the some of the Warhammer terrain, you know, I'm, I'm talking the fantasy stuff here, but the, the sci-fi stuff too. I just don't like the style of it. It's a little bit too extreme, too spiky, skulls everywhere. And I kind of came into it in a in a in a gentler age in the '80s, so that kind of really turns me off from it. You know what? That's a great point because looking back on the old Warhammers. Um, so I think it was third edition I had. Was that the one with the goblins, goblin archers, goblin spearmen, high elf archers, high elf spearmen? Was that third? Uh possibly, uh, possibly. Aye, so that's that's the one I had. And yeah, the the white dwarfs and the rule books and that at that time. It was the Warhammer world was almost a quaint place. It was the type of place that you would like to go for a pint, you know. Um, you'd get this little inn, and it's you know nice scenery, blue skies. Uh, like you say, a little hedge and stuff. It, it looked like a nice place. You know, there was obviously a lot of war and killing going on. But <laughs> yeah, went into the, the, the games workshop, like I say, around here um, to pick up like a paint a couple of years ago. And I looked at their, their I mean, it's a, a, a really great looking board, the Age of Sigmar thing. But like you say, spikes, skulls. I was like, oh, God, that's a depressing place. Um, so 
Yes. I... In fact, on that point, a long time ago, I used to live in Nottingham. I worked in I worked in the, the a big office, uh, and it was very close to the actual Games Workshop factory. And sometimes, just to de-stress after work, I'd go to the the gaming hall or, or the battle hall, whatever they call it. And some of the war games tables were, as you say, you know, hedges, trees, a little quaint inn, you know, very very old worldy medieval. And some of them, others were just dominated by gigantic castles in the shape of skulls or just this really kind of warped Gothic sensibility that I've, I just can't get my head around. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. Have you have you come across um, one one of the companies that are, they're not far from me? War bases. Have you come across them before? No, I don't think I have. No. Yeah, war bases are a really cool company. So they're like, um, you know, east of Scotland. Uh, they do, well, war bases, you know, they'll do your movement trays and stuff. So a lot of their stuff is MDF, I think. I think that's the right term for it. But um, So you'll get your flat-packed kind of buildings, and they do all sorts of fantasy and sci-fi. But they're, they're really, it's really uh, cheap for what you get because, obviously, I think the materials and that, you know, they can produce them at mass. Um, so, yeah, I've bought a lot of, like, movement trays and stuff from them, too. The good they've got these they've got these good they call them an infamy mob movement tray so it, it's the one that's um there's you know the circular bases are set into it yes. so you could get models basically for skirmish games on round bases but you could form up units if you want to play an old game of warhammer or something as well so yeah i really like war bases stuff Okay. Yeah, I've I've seen those circular. I've seen those bases with the circular holes that you you've just mentioned. But I didn't know they yeah. were called. What what were they called again? I think they're called infamy mob. But I think that's okay. because they're they're not formed up in um in lines or anything like that. So it's good if you're if you've got maybe zombies or skeletons. You know, sometimes you know zombies. It looks quite silly if zombies are all formed up perfectly. <laughs> yes. uh, it's much better if they're, you know, one's a bit faster and the other one's missed a leg and he's behind. So, um, yeah, work, they work pretty well for that. So I've got like, I'm just one of the people that you know I buy miniatures I like and I'll find a use for them maybe. But the, primarily, I mean, is is that the way you approach it? Do you do you just pick up what you like the look of? Well. I'll I'll share a secret. One of the, one of my main sources of picking up minis is is secondhand stores and charity shops. I seem to be very 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 lucky with with making some amazing finds. I mean, even here in in the Netherlands, for example, I I remember uh, not so long ago I went into a, a charity shop and I picked up a, uh, a elf regiment for two euros and I was, and I couldn't believe my luck. I mean, I thought, wow. I mean, they knew I was coming. They must have secretly arranged this this amazing find on the shelf and. A lot of my finds have been secondhand. I have to say, I'm, I'm trying to remember when was the last brand new um, Games Workshop uh, miniature I bought. I think it actually might have been the old school style skeleton pack. I think um, the Games Workshop skeletons that I bought for, I bought to use with Frostgrave. And that was maybe three years ago. And then the, the last time before that might have been 10 years before, I bought some, um, is it Slanesh Demonettes for 40K? But a lot of the time, I'm finding stuff secondhand, and um, is that I, just like conventional secondhand shops? You know, like an Oxfam or that, or yeah. are they themed secondhand shops? No, like they are they are just regular like Oxfams, Help the Aged, Doctor Bernardo's, and the thing is, I, I have a sort of obsession of going in there time and time again, day after day, just hoping to find like role playing games or uh, or, or Warhammer minis, and I, and and sometimes I, I get very lucky. I mean. 
like I say, even here in Holland, I found Warhammer stuff. Like uh, I found an elf elf regiment, and then I found some um, some lizard men. Is it cold ones? The the mounted lizard um, cavalry. I found it other packs of elves. I've I've found all sorts of stuff. So I'm actually trying to think whether my secondhand purchases outweigh my my store bought purchases, and it might be kind of uh, even even at the moment. Yeah. yeah, but to to answer your question, it's usually what I um I take a fancy to combined with how I think I'm going to use it. So a lot of a lot of the time I'm kind of thinking, okay, how can I put this into into Frostgrave? You know, can this be a warband member, or maybe can it be a monster? So. I'll always kind of analyze each figure and say, okay, I can use that for this and that for that. Do you do you use uh, like do you buy first hand from any of the companies that are kind of on the market these days? Yes, I have. I mean, um, Pendragon. I, I made a big purchase from them, even though I've said I meant I bought lots of stuff second hand. I made a big Pendragon purchase early last year, just before lockdown. Um, and I've painted. I've painted through most of them. These are the Lizard King and the Undead Armies I mentioned, and I've, I've probably got maybe a few units each left over to paint. So I think they were the ones. They were the yeah. They were the guys I was buying from. Do you ever look at like um, the, the 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 modern companies that are doing the sort of old hammer spin? You know, Nightmare and Die Hard. Do you ever come across those companies? Uh, no, no, I don't. I have to say, I mean, I, I I do dip into the you know the old hammer forums and and I I see a lot of stuff that you know it, it appeals to me and I, and I do like the aesthetic of it. But I think because I've got so many unpainted lead minis, in fact, now that we're talking, I'm just remembering I've got a gigantic box of mid nineties orcs and goblins to get through at some point, and I don't know when I'm going to do that. So I. The lead pile is huge, and because I've got such a, a, a gigantic backlog, as do we all, I, I sometimes can't justify buying stuff, and I have to sometimes just back off and say, no, I've got to paint some things before I make any other new purchase. Yeah, you've already said, you know, you've got a young family, uh, so, you know, all the all the time that life demands of you, um, how do you go about carving out time to do this and how much time do you generally are you able to to generally set aside for getting a bit of painting done on a, maybe a daily weekly monthly basis i think it's it's very seasonal and I, I remember what you were what you were talking about with nathan in in your other podcast it, it does change according to the season and i i do do more painting when it's darker because you know i'd rather be inside that it's too cold to go out it's dark so I'll just go up to my to my room. I'll put on a couple of lights, you know, just to see what I'm doing, and I'll, and I'll and I'll paint away. But you know, fitting that into family life can be hard sometimes. So I, I now that I have I have two daughters, um, and things can be very very busy. I I sometimes just have to go up for ten minutes, and then if it, if all I have is ten minutes to, to to base, you know, base paint something, that's it. You know, if and then if two if two nights later I have half an hour to set up a, a solo game, I'll do that. So at the moment, it's very much stolen moments. You know, sometimes I'll be lucky and the kids will go away to a, to a friend's house to play and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do some serious painting today. But it's tricky, but, you know, you have to make time. Have you got the, the permanent or semi-permanent setup then so you're not having to, like, get everything out to, to get about 10 minutes done? Oh, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a permanent setup. I mean, I've yeah, I've got, um, I'm lucky to have a man cave, which is just a, a posh word for a very messy room so and uh, i've got like a ledge with all my paints and my and my miniatures and um so i can just kind of pick stuff up paint it and then put it down again 
How do you approach what needs done next? Because you've said, you know, you have a you have this huge lead pile. So how how are you kind of picking something out and, and giving it a bit of TLC? Uh, the, the rule sets, I think it's driven by the rule sets. As mentioned, I, I, I've gotten into Frostgrave quite a lot. And so I'll just kind of have a themed war game, um, sorry, a, a themed Frostgrave war band. So I'll kind of open up my box or boxes of minis and I'll say, okay, this one, this one, and this one. You, you look like you'll work well together. I'll take you aside and I'll, I'll paint you up. And the same with my sci-fi figures. Even though I'm more of a fantasy player, my fantasy gamer, I do have sci-fi stuff as well. And um, so I'm trying to get together a, a a band of science fiction figures for five parsecs from home. So it's very much driven driven by the game or the game system as a way to say, okay, I'm going to paint that little band of figures and the rest will have to wait another time. Do you go with round bases for your skirmishy figures or do you, do you, do you pop them on square bases? Uh, round? I, I'm finding it hard to get square ones these days, to be honest. I mean, I have a lot really? of round bases. Yeah, I've got a lot of round bases with the games that they came with. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually running out of square bases. I'm hoping I can I can get some sometime. Yeah, right enough. I mean, you're in, you're in the Netherlands. I'm not sure. You know, I, I bought a packet of them um, a couple of years ago on Amazon. I got them no bother, but I don't know that that... You know, maybe that's changed. We, I, I don't think we could get anything now because of Brexit <laughs> and that. I don't think we can't even get like uh, soda water and that brought in now. So I don't know about square bases. I but, know. Well, it, it's a double yeah. whammy for me because if, if they're made in Nottingham, they have to come out to Holland. So that's a double whammy of Brexit. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, because I, I hear people getting all sorts of surprise bills and stuff like that these days if they're getting anything delivered. Um. So how how do you so you like to create your terrain. Do you are you deliberate about maybe you know I've always got one terrain piece in the works, or is that just something that you know if if it, it happens to have taken your fancy, if you've got the materials in, you maybe work on that. Uh, I think I think if if I've got the materials in, I mean I I I, I the, the two terrain t- kind the, the, the two terrain types I make the most of tend to be ruins and um, and trees. I think because I always. I'm always collecting or hoarding, depending on what, depending on how you view it, um, polystyrene packaging. So as mentioned, I find it very easy to make uh, buildings from polystyrene packaging. So there's there's usually something on the go or something in the works that I think I'm going to make. I think one of my long-term projects is to make some kind of castle setup with the polystyrene I have because... It doesn't really need, need a lot of work, and sometimes I get very lucky with the packaging, and it's 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 already got the ready the ready made parapets and the you know the the archways, so it it's it's it needs very little DIY. And I'm always making trees. I don't know why. I think it's because I'm kind of hardwired into that old worldy fantasy sensibility of of old Warhammer. So yeah, I'm always kind of going between ruins and trees. Did you know that, just like every other podcast out there, this show has its very own Patreon? But this is no ordinary Patreon. It's actually the worst Patreon ever. That's right, there's no rewards, no extras, no bonus content, no early access, no shout-outs and no thank-yous. I'll just take the money and quietly get on with making the show. Not that there's any money to take because hardly anyone's pledging to the thing. Like I say, it's the worst Patreon ever. Find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word, worst Patreon ever. Now, back to the show. 
Let me come back to the trees. I want to ask you a question about trees. But castle, let's talk about castles first. So, like, I bought um, a couple of years ago, I bought this big, really nice castle. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to, to my article with photos on that. But what I find with the castle is, like, where does it go on the table? Because <laughs> I've had, like, again, I've been playing a bit of Kings of War the last couple of years. So I always found, like, the castle, you can't just stick it in the middle because it totally gets in the way. So it ends up just being almost a backdrop. Um, it, it, you know, the castle wall runs up and then I think well, there's, there's no point in that. You know, it looks a bit nice, but um, so castles, like, do, do they need to, you know, if you're building one, do you make sure that there's stairs and platforms and that and then your Fosgrave minis or whatever can kind of climb up it and be on it and stuff? Or is it more just a big decor piece? Oh, absolutely. I think all my terrain, no matter what it what it is, has to be functional in some way. Because what, what you say about castles being backdrops, I think that's a very good point. Because I remember going back to old war, um, sorry, old White Dwarf magazines. You'd see these lovely setups of battles. In the middle, you'd have all the, all the miniatures fighting together. And they'd be mm-hmm. surrounded by a backdrop of castles or, 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 or buildings. And I always thought that was such a waste. So for me, the castles I make, they always have to have they always have to have lots of space for the miniatures to stand on. Otherwise, for me, they have no kind of point in the game. Yeah, that's that. I think that's maybe an issue with, with mass battle games, isn't it? That the terrain sometimes becomes, you know, it borders the battle. But essentially, you do need that almost football field in the middle for all the the regiments to be on, so they can fight each other. And, you know, the cynical person might say, well, why did you waste all your time doing all the stuff that's just, like, basically the pie crust on the outside? So I I suppose a, a few people might encounter that thought before. Um, trees. I want to ask you about trees as well. So, what, firstly, how, how do you go about making a tree these days? Uh, twigs. I start with the twigs, and then I, I take it from there. That is, is the very simple question. I mean, um, I, I, I've got one method dialed in where I, you know, I'll find a decent looking twig. I'll, I'll, um, I'll give it a paint or rather I'll, I'll impregnate it with a wash down PVA. I'll stick it to a base and then I'll either, you know, leave it as it is or, you know, I'll start putting some moss or, or some, some, um, some sponge on it. Do so, you go, do you go individual tree or do you go clumps of trees? I, I go individual. The way I do it is I, I go individual and I put each one on quite a large base so it, it doesn't fall over, obviously. And then maybe what I'll do is I'll build just a separate flat base and I will then put those trees onto it. But everything has to be quite you know removable and mobile. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes with trees um, when I came back into the hobby. I bought a packet of, I, I think they call them apertures. Is that right? It's uh, I think they were maybe for model railways, but it's basically like a flat tree and the idea is you bend it all out and stuff like that. Um, and then I bought this flock type stuff, but like shrubbery type flock and tried to glue it to it and the base was really wee. The flock all fell off and the trees knocked over really easy and it was just, I think I, I just chucked it on eBay for like one pound. I was like, just somebody who knows what they're doing, just take these. Um so it was kind of, it was my own fault, uh, really. So I need to revisit that and maybe try something a bit better. So bigger bases, you're saying. And how do yeah. You, how do you, like, glue the flock or the foliage onto your, your twigs? Uh, usually PVA and, and lots and lots of PVA. I, I'll i use it initially to, as I say, impregnate the tree to, to make it strong. 
then if I'm putting flock on it, for example, I'll just dip those bits or those twigs in, in, in a PVA solution or even, even the PVA glue itself so it's nice and thick, you know, put the flock on it. And then when that dries, I'll give it another coat of watered down PVA so it's really, you know, locked in or, or, or impregnated. And uh, if I'm using moss, I think that's the right word, those, you know, those bags of moss you can get. It's mm. pretty much it's pretty much the same ta- um, the same technique, but I'll make sure that I I impregnate it with the, the watered down PVA again, because I found not only does it make things very very tough because you know it if it knocks over it it's not going to break, uh, it, it just protects it you know so it's kind of twofold really. What's your favorite terrain piece that you've made over the years? Ooh, gosh, that's a tough question. <laughs> That's a tough question. I, th- I think it's probably something not so long ago I made. Um, uh, I think it was a, a one corner of a castle wall. This this eventual huge castle that I'm going to build out of my my famed polystyrene collection. I think it was just the simplicity of it, because you know I, I see lots of grand, complicated crafting schemes on YouTube or in in, in war games magazines, and I just literally snapped off a corner of a polystyrene packaging and I went, okay, good to go. I'll paint you great, and I think I think I think sometimes the simplicity is is fantastic when it comes to using those kind of materials, and and for me that's that's what wargaming is. I mean, it, it takes me back to being a young kid, and I'm just using what I can find. You know, I'm not getting caught up in an arms race of going to Games Workshop every day and you know spending all my money. For me, it's about kind of do it yourself. So I, I guess it would be my um, my castle wall corner. Have you ever done any roads or ponds, uh, water features, anything like that? Ever created any of those? I have. I I, I did my first water features last year, and I, I they it was rivers. I, I made a small river system, and I made it out of an old um, muffin cake holder. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Uh, there are these sort of multi-tiered stands that you can put cakes on for a party or something. Mm. And I, I got it for my I got it for my daughter's birthday and when it was over when the party was over i kind of snaffled it for my for my wargaming purposes and each it's it's three circular bases each one smaller as you get to the top of the stand so because they were circular i kind of cut them i cut each one into quarters so i had a sort of bend of a river and it was a very tough cardboard it, it, it was laminated so it was waterproofed and what i did with each of those um corners was I put polyfiller on the sides to kind of represent riverbanks. I painted it blue, I think varying shades of blue. And then I gave I gave the river riverbanks a green coat and then I dry brushed it green. And then I covered um I covered the water with PVA glue. Again, my famous PVA glue. And I I wouldn't say it's a fantastic finish. You know, it's nowhere near what you see in, in White Dwarf, but I was very proud of it because it it did have that watery sheen. And it kind of served the purpose that I, I expect from any piece of terrain I have that, you know, it's got to be functional, you know, it has to look half decent and it's got to be tough. You know, it might get dropped if, if you move it around. I don't want it to fall apart. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just about getting my feet wet with water features. No pun intended. Do you, do you share um, pictures of your work online anywhere? I haven't really yet. No, I mean, I'm I'm just sort of slowly getting into the whole content creating um, scene. And I, I started a podcast um, early this year, and it's it's still kind of faltering. But of course, being a podcast, 
no pictures on it, but uh, it, it's something I'd like to to get more into. Maybe in the future I'll go more into a blog so I can have you know text, pictures, video as as well as audio. But but nothing yet. Yeah, I mean that's I'm not a big like sharer of stuff in general online. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of social media or that, but I, I do like you know I've got the the website now bedroombattlefields.com, which people always ask me is that some sort of dating uh, <laughs> uh, marriage counselling website, which I suppose it could be. Um, maybe I'll do that as well. But um, I found it was just good to, especially with all these lockdowns that we had um, recently, where you know I paint a thing and my wife doesn't really care, <laughs> so uh, she might humour me, but it was just good to be able to say to other folk like here's a. You know, here's something I did, and it felt like at least somebody might have seen it rather than it just going in the, the cabinet or the drawer. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I did share a couple of things now that you mention it, but um, it was quite targeted. There's a Facebook, there is a Facebook site for Frostgrave, and I just, um, oh no, there, there's one for Frostgrave and there's one for Ranges of Shadow Deep. And I, I painted up an old um, Chaos Beastman from the 90s, and I just kind of shared it with the with the um, Ranges of Shadow Deep uh, site because it. One of the uh, one of the scenarios in one of the supplements for that game has a something called Grevix Man Beast, which basically looks like a Chaos Beastman. So I said, "Here you go, guys. Look at my Chaos Beastman." You know, and I got a good response, and it, it was nice to share these things. And then the other time, somebody was asking, I think it was on the Frostgrave site, how do they make their trees stand up? You know, which is something we just talked about. And I told them, <laughs> "Well, I, I use very big bases, or or I glue it to a steel washer." You know, so so sometimes I'll do it, but you know, I'm not doing it constantly. I'm not like a, a war games influencer by any means. Get a lot of likes with your old battle masters, <laughs> uh, minis. Oh gosh, um, yeah. Or or going on to like going on a specifically like old hammery group and then being a bit funny where you're like you know you know in the age of Sigmar there's like these weird golden they look like space marines. Imagine you went on to like an old hammer group and were like, look at this classic, uh, look at this classic uh, empire swordsman. Imagine the Imagine the response you'd get there. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> um, your podcast, you mentioned your podcast there, Two Shelves of Gaming, how do we look? Um, so tell me, tell us a bit about that. Like, um, what's the what's the general theme of Two Shelves of Gaming? Well, I think it's just a way to air all the games I've I've collected over the years because, you know, I all my games are just are put on two shelves, hence the Two Shelves of Gaming podcast. And um, sometimes I look at them and I think, you know, I've had some of you... I've had some of these games for for forty years. You know, I started playing role playing games in nineteen eighty two. I started wargaming in nineteen eighty six, and I have a veritable library of games. You know, and, and I'm not I'm not some oddball weirdo collector who stays in his room all the time and just kind of fetishizes over these ancient books. But because I don't play them a lot, because because of lockdown, because I you know there's not many gamers where I live. I just thought, okay, how can I you know. How can I honor them? So I just thought, you know, for every episode, I'll just pick a game off the shelf and talk about it, you know, talk about what it means to me, what I did with it, you know, have I, have I ever played with it? You know, when did I buy it? And um, just generally how it fits in with, with, with the rest of my games. So a couple of titles I've mentioned already, you got you got Battlemaster, Space Hulk, what about Hero Quest? Got any of those on your two shelves? Yeah, I've got one Hero Quest. I used to have about five there was a there was a sweet spot in the late nineties, early noughties when I was just finding them every time I went into my local Oxfam, and it got That's to the tremendous. Po- I know I come was out I- with, come out with a dead woman's cardigan, <laughs> an Elvis record, and a, a box of Hero Quest. Absolutely, that was me. That was me, and um, I, I had about five of them, 
and I had I think I had some of the extensions as well or the expansions. But then I moved home in 2008 and I'll just I'll just give you a bit of background. Um I lived in a flat and all my all my games were kind of scurried away in little shelves under beds under sofas etc you know I, I couldn't really see them they were all hidden and then when i moved to my new house i had to unpack all my games and put them in one place and i had when they were all stacked together it was like a monolith from 2001 i had this gigantic pile of games many of which were hero quest and i said to myself this is a bit crazy i should really sell some of these on ebay so the five the five hero quest games i used to have is, is now down to one it came back, didn't it? Like, um, did, they, did did was it a Kickstarter or something? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, it was. There was some cryptic countdown clock that I saw on social media. I think it was last year or the year before, and everyone was rubbing their hands saying, "Oh, Hero Quest is back!" You know, guys like me who remembered it from back in the day were thinking it's going to get a reboot. It's going to be great. And then when the countdown clock came to zero, it just revealed itself to be a Kickstarter, and I think the world collectively sighed, basically. <laughs> Yeah, as if that was needed. Uh, they could have they could have put that straight on the shelves and it would have sold, I dare say. Yeah. Um, but... you ever you ever tried a Mantic's Dungeon Saga? Because it's a bit of a it's a bit of a homage, if you like, to, to Hero Quest. I, I've been very tempted by, by Mantic's uh, Dungeon Saga. I've I've looked at it, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think I ever saw it in the shops because there used to be a, a hobby craft near me in Liverpool that, that sold a lot of Mantic stuff, but it's something I've seen. I think it's very easy on the eye. But going back to Hero Quest, because I have Hero Quest, that that for me is like the gold standard of of dungeon crawl board games. Yeah, true. So no need I, to get a new one, is there? Exactly, exactly. And I remember years ago I saw the game Descent, which again is another you know dungeon crawl tabletop game. And I just said I don't need this because I've got Hero Quest. I got that um, when me and my wife. Um, I said to her, look at. I need to get back into something like this. You know, I was in my mid-30s at the time. And Descent, that, I did a bit of Googling. You know, this is going back to like 2016, I think. Um, Descent came up. So I was like, because I thought I could maybe just get Hero Quest. I thought they might have still been making it. So Descent was the one that was suggested and I bought it. It was, uh, my problem was I'd have three or four beers and then I'd get the thing out. And But then I'm kind of well on and it, the rule book seemed quite heavy. The miniatures, I wasn't that impressed with them. I don't know what company made Descent. Um, I, I didn't like the miniatures. I thought they were very, you know. But it was, remember when you got a box of cereal with a plastic toy in it? They reminded <laughs> me a bit of that. I, um, I, I, I never saw the, the miniatures up close and personal, but for me, it was the amount of tokens and dice and it seemed, it it seemed like it had, yeah, very busy. So that, that kind of put me off a bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got uh, I've got Dungeon Saga, and my wife did enjoy that when we played it. And, you know, I've got an expansion that I think there might be, like, solo rules and that. You, you mentioned earlier, that, that reminds me, you mentioned Rangers as Shadow Deep. So do you like a wee solo game now and then, particularly with the, the year that was 2020? Absolutely yes. I mean, um, I, I, it just playing a solo game just helps me scratch that gaming itch. And uh, although you can do solo stuff with with Frostgrave, Rangers of Shadowdeep is is a purpose built solo cooperative game. So it no, it, it, it's a great game to play solo. And for me, I think it's it's almost a perfect midpoint between wargaming and role playing games. It seems to just kind of be right on the line. So it it's, it ticks lots of boxes. It ticks lots of boxes for me. Yeah, I had a look at getting Rangers, but um, it seemed to me 
the books, the physical books seem quite hard to get and quite expensive. And I don't like the idea of using a PDF or, or a computer. I don't, I like the idea that, you know, when I'm playing a game, I could put all the technology away um, and I wouldn't like to be referencing things on the laptop or that. So that's what's kind of stopped me from diving in yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very much the same. I, I I like my pen and my paper. You know, I, I, I don't I don't go with screens when I'm gaming at all. I mean, I, I didn't get the war. I didn't get the book because it is quite expensive. I, I got a, I obtained a PDF of, of the rules, which I then printed out. But you know the the rules are very similar to Frostgrave, and you know if if you've only got the Frostgrave rules, you can kind of do solo stuff with that, and you're not a million miles away from ranges. Mm. And I think uh, we mentioned Stargrave too. I think I think they released a little supplement that has some kind of solo play. I think so. I think I downloaded that. I've just not again, obviously, my wife had a, a baby recently, so I've not had a chance to dig into that. But I think that's on the go now. Yes, I mean, I've, I've, I, I was very tempted to buy Stargrave, but again, I said to myself, I've got so many game systems, you know, everything's starting to stack up, you know, and I, as I told you, there was that story when I had to just sell some of my games because I had too many, and I think that's one of the perennial problems I have with my game collection is is trying not to buy new stuff, whether it's rule sets or minis, because you can just one day be overwhelmed by all the stuff you've bought and never used. So I try to be very good. Occasionally, I have moratoriums on not buying stuff. Just uh, towards getting us wrapped up, because it is, it is tea time for me. Um, I'm going to have to go and stuff some pots soon. But do you think, like, what, what you know, you've obviously got a lot of games and played a lot of games over the years. Do you think there's only so much variation you could get with rules? Or is there always a freshness for you when you when you pick up a new game? In, in a way, I think there's there's only so many variations. I mean, in, in terms of setting, I think there's only so many settings. And, you know, I don't mean it's either fantasy or, or, or it's science fiction. I mean, what, what the characters are doing. I mean, you, you're... I think there's, yeah, there's only so many themes in terms of the setting. The rules... The rules can have little nuances... The, you know, maybe that game does something well, but that part of it is very bad, and then another system is vice versa. But I think that that's part of my problem in buying lots of games is I'm maybe the reason I buy so many is I'm all, I'm always trying to find that that really you know little nugget of great great gaming rules or that that, that amazing thing that I've never never discovered before. Maybe that's one of the reasons I, I I'm always buying stuff. Do you ever think about just hodgepodge and all your favorite rules together and making the ultimate the ultimate game for you? I, I'm, I'm working on that. That's one of my kind of never, never projects. I think because of lockdown and because I've just been forced to, to solo game, I've been, you know, taking existing rule sets that are meant for two people and trying to, you know, kind of come up with something that's 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 that works well solo. And I think one of the one of the projects I'm trying to do, I'm trying to convert the old Warhammer Second Edition. Um, I think it's called Bloodbath of Orcs Drift, which was a mini campaign. I'm going to see if I can convert that into a solo game, you know, put some solo rules in there. So I'm I'm always tinkering. I'm always tinkering with my rules in some way. All right, Tom, I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much for joining us. Where, um, where's best to check you out? Is it the, the podcast website? Yeah, that would be the best one. Uh, Anchor FM forward slash Trini Gamer. I mean, I've got a kind of random collection of um, of my podcasts there. As I say in all my podcasts, you know, it's still kind of uh, in development. You know, I'm still kind of working on what format I'm 
I need to settle on. So I'm just kind of spitballing at the moment. My my next podcast is going to be episode 10, although it should be episode 1.0 probably because I need to kind of, it's my chance to reboot it and make things proper, shall we say. So if you do listen, you know, go, go easy. <laughs> well, if they listen to this one, they'll have low standards. <laughs> no, no, no. That was been great. No, th- thank you very much. And I'm sorry I was late. I, I would have loved to have talked more about stuff. No, no, it was it was a mix up with the the booking software, obviously. Um, but I have really enjoyed it, Tom. So your um, I'll put a link in the show notes. But it's anchor.fm slash Trini Gamer. That's T R I N I Gamer. Um, and of course, you could find all the stuff pertaining to this podcast and photos anything I've been up to, which hasn't been that much recently. But you could find that at bedroombattlefields.com. Thanks very much, Tom. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on a future episode. Cheers. Thank you very much, Matthew. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. <laughs>